I'd like to share with you. Every man be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Dr. The road to rehabilitation starts with acceptance. Just sign a confession. No. I am not guilty of killing my wife. They've given me a life sentence and I'm innocent. First offense is 90 days. Miss you. You believe in ghosts? I'm afraid of whatever it is you think you're seeing. That's just your mind's way of keeping you company. Segregated housing unit. He changes people. You just earned yourself another 90 days, prisoner. You don't look so good. You can't stop me from filing my appeal. I'm kind of sweet. Greetings from the Pumpkin Patch and welcome Halloweeniacs to the Jack-O-Lantern Press Podcast on the Weird Network where we discuss monsters and Halloween. My name is Michael Piccarella. And my name's Tom Piccarella. Tonight's episode, Aaron Fielman. <laughs> what you heard at the head of the show there was the trailer for Aaron's new movie, Caged, which he directed and co-wrote with James Doc Mason. Cage tells the story of an African-American man who is imprisoned and placed in solitary confinement after being found guilty of murdering his wife, and then he's haunted by internal demons and his wife and pushed to the breaking point by an abusive female guard. The film is described as a psychological thriller about the horrific, mind-bending effects of solitary confinement. It stars Eddie Gathegi from X-Men First Class, Melora Hardin from The Office, and Angela Serafian from Westworld. Aaron Fielman made the movie. He's an American writer and director. He was born and raised in Southern California and attended film school at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. After college, he moved back to Los Angeles and began a film career as a director, working on music videos, commercials, and digital shorts with an array of American and European clients. Aaron is one of the founders of the newly formed production company Panic House Films, co-founded with Cage producer Pete Kirtley. So yeah, we had a discussion with Aaron. Uh, Pretty excited to see this new movie, Cage. We have not seen it yet. Um, It comes out tomorrow on VOD, and uh, we'll have some links in the show notes um, that uh, will get you to the movie, to his website. 
But uh, yeah, we had a good discussion with Aaron. Um, he and I went to film school together at the Academy of Art and haven't really talked to him since film school. We we um, went to school in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. Um, we kind of were in touch on Facebook, but you know the normal Facebook things is checking out each other's posts and that kind of thing. So it was cool to to get back in touch with him and uh, find out what he was doing. Yeah, not only that, uh, you know, obviously I have never even met him or talked to him before, so it was kind of neat, you know, learning his story, learning about you know why he even made the the movie or what inspired him uh, to make the movie. You know, there was a a neat little story there. Uh, plus, the guy's just passionate. He's passionate about, you know, what he did, his work. Um, I think that he's pretty, uh, pretty humble in the fact of of what he has there. Um, just because, uh, I mean, just the trailer alone, I think, says a lot for that piece um, uh, of of what he's got. Because I honestly, I think that movie is going to be really well done. The acting is yeah, great. it looks pretty incredible. Just yeah. the, the visuals alone, it definitely looks haunting, um, which is why we wanted to have him on the show. Um, you know, we we talk about things that are Halloween and monster related. Um, I think these are going to be more, this movie is going to be more about the monsters within you. Um, it looks it looks pretty freaky. It definitely looks pretty terrifying. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it for sure. Yeah, same here. But before we get to Aaron's interview, I wanted to mention our sponsor of the show this evening, the Nightmare 365 podcast, which you could find at Nightmare365.com. Over there at Nightmare, Matt and Greg explore the unexplained, the mysterious, and the spookiness that lives among us with discussions about the unknown, UFOs, monsters, urban legends, folklore, conspiracies, and more. So check out Nightmare 365, and be sure to subscribe to their YouTube channel, which we'll link in the show notes. And now, on with the show. All right, Aaron, welcome to the Jack-O-Lantern Press podcast. Awesome to be here, guys. Thanks for having me so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, Before we get into more about who you are, since um, this is a podcast about monsters and Halloween, we usually like to ask our guests first, first up, um, if you have like a Halloween memory that comes to mind that you could share with us, like a cool Halloween memory. I mean, I don't even know if you're into Halloween or not. Um, who doesn't love Halloween then? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I can think of something. Um, so uh, I was a very uh, enthusiastic uh, WWF fan as a, as a young kid. So um, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys were, were fans of that. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, do yeah. Remember, do you remember there was Andre the Giant had gotten banished from like the WWF, and then he he went to Japan and came back and wrestled under the pseudonym of the Machine, uh, uh, and he was in like- a tag team called the Machines, and there was Giant Machine, the Machine, and Little Machine. <laughs> I feel like I remember the banishment, but I don't remember the machine thing. Yeah, neither do I. Okay. So anyways, I thought this was really cool at the time. I was probably in fifth grade. Um, and so uh, I wanted to be the uh, the dark version of Andre the Giant machine. 
Uh, and he he basically wore like uh, kind of like one of those like King Kong Bundy unitards and uh, <laughs> and a black mask, right? Nice. So so uh, kind of like a Lucha Libre style mask with like um, like sequin like on it, like silver sequin. So it was kind of like a black and silver sequin kind of vibe was like the machine, definitely kind of like industrial nineties dark, right? And so I, I was super feeling this, like um, this Halloween costume. So I had my mom make me a costume and she got like a skin colored um, a sweatshirt and we like drew muscles on it. And then I wore like this unitard um, and the machine thing. And I went to school and I was like, everyone's like, what are you? And I'm like, I'm Andre the Giant, the machines. And they're like, oh, okay. And, <laughs> and I got kind of a strange reaction to it at the time. And then, you know, like time passes, you know, Halloween was great, went out, trick or treated that night. Anyways, I, I came back to this costume uh, <laughs> not too many years, a, a few years ago when I was, um, looking over some old photos that I had found when I had gotten some stuff out of storage. And um, it turns out that the machine costume is also like the same kind of costume as like a kind of like bondage sadomasochist costume. <laughs> oh no, nice. So like now, like with like, you know, like having a, being a little bit more informed, you know, as a, as an older man, I look back at this costume and I, I figured like, you know, that's probably why everyone was looking at me strange. Everyone's like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, it was like, what do you guys got against Andre the Giant? And it turns out they didn't. There was nothing against Andre and a lot against uh <laughs> Okay, yeah, I just looked it up and I, I was curious on, and <laughs> I, now I can understand uh, uh, what, what people were probably like what the heck what's going on have, in like, that the... family <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely that's classic I, I you know what honestly i i think the in in the wrestling world the the guy that i always used to like was the undertaker yeah me too undertaker. at the end he would he'd put him in the coffin and and uh take him away i always thought that was neat plus he'd have the cool music at the beginning oh definitely undertaker was uh he was he was a legend for sure. What was the dude's name? He always carried around the urn. Oh. The dude with him. No, oh, like I can't. Can't remember. I'd have to look it up. I, I I don't I don't remember either. Undertaker was going. Like I'm not sure like what our age difference is, but Undertaker was on the tail end of uh, of what my of when I started like Ultimate Warrior, Undertaker, like those guys. Like I was starting to get out a bit by that time but i was definitely like the attitude era macho man hogan yeah Andre. Like 80s 80s yeah, yeah like the late 80s maybe yeah probably by early 90s i was kind of on the tail end of it yeah yeah um but for sure yeah it was good good memories okay so i just looked it up it was a guy named william alvin moody and his ring name was the masked embalmer uh, or Mastin. Paul Bearer. <laughs> Paul Bearer. Yeah. That's right. I remember yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, because you you'd always carry that urn and he'd be like rubbing it and like oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like some of the pictures I just saw of him, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. So that that's that was like his manager, right? I think something like that. Yeah. 
Right. So, okay. So Aaron, uh, so we read your bio at the beginning of the show, but can you tell us a little bit more about your beginnings? Like you said, you're from Southern California. Are you from the LA or a suburb? How did you get uh, into movies? I, I'm, a, I'm about a half. I grew up in a, a suburb of Los Angeles, in Los Angeles County called San Dimas. Oh yeah. San uh, Dimas. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Made, made famous by uh, Bill and Ted. Of course. Uh, home to raging waters <laughs> um yeah and um so you know grew up out here and then um really you know at, at the high school that i went to like there was not like a ton of exposure to any if art in my high school was you could either draw or you made something with clay um but i didn't have any sort of like performing arts or in anything like that um that was influencing me in any way. So basically all of my, my early experiences with, uh, with filmmaking was one from being uh, a fan of genre films um, and also having a Super 8 and early video cameras and you know, like those like video onyx, like editing like systems that I, would, I was starting to oh, man. Like, mess I around that. with. The video yeah, onyx you, thing, I remember we yeah. had one. Never, I remember get that. that damn thing to work because I think uh, my stepdad got it for me. He got got it at like a garage sale or something, and yeah. he never could get that damn thing to work. It was looked pretty complicated. It, you know, it was like I, I don't even know if I was doing it the right way because I know they at, at they had a controller for it. It was like a TV switcher that you used between two VCRs, um, and I don't even think I ever even got the switcher. Like I just put the two VCRs and then they had this thing called the Boeing box. Um, and then there was a, a, a graphics generator. And so basically it was like me daisy chaining the Boeing box and the graphics generator in between two VCRs that were recording from VCR to VCR, um, all, all daisy chained together with RCA cables. And you could do like titles and things like that with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember that was the cool thing. It's like, whoa, we could do credits, but yeah, the credits were the work. big deal on it, dude. You want to know what's funny is is the other day when I was going through our garage, I found our old Super Eight camera. Really? And I still oh, you have, have it. that one. Yeah, that Dad's old one. Dad's old one. I still wow. have it. Huh. Dude, say, hang on to that. Was there yeah, any, not uh, to say that they could you could do anything with it right now? You can you still develop that film, stuff. But. Oh, okay. Well, I'm if sure you can, you it's it. antique. There, I, somebody was just telling me about a shop in Hollywood uh, that that will facilitate um, all of your kind of like um, non thirty five millimeter film needs, like uh, Super Eight and sixteen millimeter stuff. Like they they can source you uh, hard to find like sixteen millimeter uh, film stocks, like vintage film stocks, and also have like. A, like a path for processing. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So that's kind of neat. So you were, you were saying that you were kind of into genre film. So you even like, you kind of had that idea, even at the high school level, you were interested in like, were you calling it that? Like, Oh, I'm into. No, genre film. no. I mean, <laughs> okay. I, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't, aware. I was just really into like um, action or science fiction Um and so were all my friends. So there was nothing like really odd about it. You know, I, I guess the only thing was, is I knew I liked movies the most. 
out of my group of friends, you know? Mm. Um, but I wasn't aware that I was like, you know, there wasn't like Comic-Con and stuff back then. You know what I mean? So like the whole concept of a fanboy was not quite as like, it wasn't such a moniker, you know? Right, right. Um, there was there was me and this other dude named Tim Peterson. And out of the two guys at the school, like we both thought, we, we both loved movies, wore a lot of like band and movie t-shirts to school. And then both thought enough of ourselves to like, break out the video camera and like start doing some uh, assignments on video as opposed to like writing papers and stuff. That's like, funny. Shooting. Did, did, did you, uh, did did you do same. any, any, uh, any horror movies? Like uh, when you were, you know, just kind of faking around filming and stuff, did you guys make it like just a stupid horror flick? Yeah. I made a Bigfoot movie. Oh, oh nice. Nice. Yeah. nice. Um, uh, I'm curious too, like, did, did were you a fan of Fangoria and, Cause that was definitely one, that was a magazine that we would, we would read. Cause we did the same thing. We would make little movies on video camera. I'd edit VCR to VCR. Um, you know, we would do like three generations of passes so that we could add different layers of like sound effects, which I would do with a keyboard. And then nice. I had like a little ghetto blaster <laughs> that I would run into the VCR for a second pass um, with a soundtrack. You know, I used to buy, you know, all these soundtracks on tape um you know it's like well movie well, yeah movie. even remember when we were filming my computer screen because i got it to scroll in some some i don't even remember what the what the uh program was that i did the credits in but yeah. we somehow got it to scroll and so we just took our video camera and recorded the screen rather yeah than we just threw it on the camera on a tripod <laughs> aimed it at the tv and that was the credits <laughs> yeah no i i dude i i'm so right with you guys on all that and yes huge fan of uh i remember it was fangoria and then there was gore zone gore zone yeah gore yeah zone. gore zone was good <laughs> what about uh uh famous monsters of Filmland? no well that i don't know if they they that was an old magazine but then they kind of re-released it but i don't know if that was in that so we're probably around the same age Aaron, okay. so it was probably yeah. you were probably talking about like the nine early nineties here. Yeah, I I, gra I graduated in ninety four, so. Oh yeah, so we are this exact same. Oh age. yeah, so yeah. I graduated in ninety six, so we're all we're all right there. Okay. So then you you obviously watched like all the Friday the Thirteenth and the the Freddy Kruegers and you know Nightmare on Elm Street that sort of stuff. I'm sure you totally grew up with all that. Like like my my definition. See what one thing I guess I didn't get exposed to was like the um, I guess the art film side of horror early on. Like I didn't <clears throat> I didn't really know about like Rosemary's Baby and The Omen and like Nicholas Rogue and Don't Look Now and like thing, things like that. that. Those were things that I was definitely all about. You know, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, like the franchise slasher flick video store like basically like the video store was the art gallery that I frequented and like fell in love with like all the posters and all the box covers uh, and basically you know as often as I could was writing uh, or renting videos that you know to try to see things that were like freakier and raising the bar of like ex you know extreme content and stuff so yeah do you remember like if there was one particular movie that did it for you as far as the horror genre goes well, there, there was 
one ex uh, uh, okay, well, I, I was real young and got incredibly scared by, I, I wasn't supposed to be watching it. Well, okay, a couple, like uh, the, the Shining became kind of like my first exposure to horror because my dad Dang, was a huge Jack okay. Nicholson fan. Nice. Um, how, so I, how old are you? What like way too young man like <laughs> like 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 it, it was like a, he, he was like no let him watch it like he'll be fine he'll put hair on his chest kind of thing you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. and my mom's like no it's gonna mess him up and and then like you know here i am uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am making a horror flick <laughs> yeah uh but yeah so i remember seeing that and then getting like like having my family like uh like my dad like chase me around the house dragging his leg like and so that was kind of i always remember being it was it became like a memory of like being scared but also like a good time you know um and and then there was a couple movies that i like walked in on i remember it was the texas chainsaw massacre film oh, man. uh that Classic. my parents were watching uh but but not not it not the not the toby hooper one it's the, oh, the, the one, one that had matthew mcconaughey in it Oh, which man. I might even be the third one. Yeah, I think that's the third one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I remember that being really cheesy, but like also pretty violent and stuff. And so I like came in on like some like slash, like some crazy slash moment and like uh, being pretty, like having like a love hate for it, like being scared, but like being like um, intrigued by that, you know? Um, and then um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, there was... Oh, there's a movie that I, I, my parents had taken me to by Brian De Palma, which I actually just rewatched recently called Dress to Kill. I don't know if you no. guys are familiar yeah. with that. No, for sure. Oh, yeah. So, so I, we went to go see like a double feature and Dress to Kill was the second movie and I was sleeping. And of course, like I wake up in the elevator scene. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, um, a, a trans man, you know, murdering, a girl in the elevator uh and then i'm like oh wow okay and i just started screaming like I, I was i was pretty young on that one that might have even been before the shining but i so those three moments are moments that are stand out to me wow nice so that that kind of yeah. did it and then you were into horror movie horror movies after that uh, yeah you know it was just uh i i feel I was, I was very much into movies in general. And, um, and the, I, I really liked, I, I found myself really drawn to the artwork, the box covers and stuff. And it was always the horror movies and the sci-fi films that I felt like had the coolest box covers. So I, I found myself just uh, renting a lot of that stuff, you know? You know, you can, I, I think you can see that in, well, in your trailer anyway, like you could definitely see there's a love for the image because there's some pretty powerful images in just in that trailer and uh so yeah you could you could see that that those box covers probably did mean a lot to you well not only that like even just your your panic house logo that reminds me of of uh of something along those lines it, it it's really really neat here um looking at Thanks, that man. and even that trailer uh that trailer was awesome. That's all I got to say. I mean, the quality of that trailer, it looks like it is an absolute professional flick. Um, is really well done. Well, we, we definitely, we, we definitely tried and, um, you know, um, 
I, I, I was, I was real lucky, you know, I, it, it took a really long time and it was a lot of hard work, but like when it comes to like, like friends, like, like, like just delivering for you and like in ways that you would have never expected and like strangers, like going above and beyond for you. Like it was just, I, I was so lucky that way and super grateful. I mean, one, like the cast, like, you know, we, uh, we, we lucked out with like a really amazing, intriguing, uh, super solid cast, you know? Yeah, you got some um, big people in, in this movie. I mean, the Eddie guy, uh, he's been yeah. in all kinds of stuff. And I was trying to remember even before you got on here, I was like, you know, what, what else was that guy in? And then I was like, Oh yeah, he was in the blacklist TV series. Yep. He's in X-Men. I yeah. mean, there's just, just all kinds of stuff. I, I know he was in uh, one of those Twilight uh, series. Yeah. Um, so, but, same with, same with Angela. For, who, yeah. She was in that with him and that's where they met. And uh, she was also on Westworld and whatnot. Westworld. Yeah. That was the other one. And then the older guy there, uh, the warden, I mean, holy cow, you got some good actors in this. And I think that that's really what made, uh, the at least the trailer i i obviously haven't seen the movie um you know but but the the trailer alone just the acting is is just so well done but i mean you can even see it uh in the trailer your your camera work your lighting um just the way that things were shot it's it just i I'm, I'm excited to see the movie you know like i was telling you earlier uh you know it's 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 going on tuesday uh you know i'm gonna have uh i'm gonna have everybody watching it here that's oh sure. man thank 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 you man like i mean honestly like it's uh it's a real joy to be able to to finally present a film to the world um as far as the look goes uh i absolutely am influenced by probably a lot of the things that you guys love and grew up with uh because you know we're around the same age um and you know my dp uh jessica and i uh worked real hard um to create a um a visual system uh that we worked in we, we actually i guess this, this is something kind of interesting we we came up with this uh i i basically put together this um formula or I guess it was like a, a template for the film. It was called the seven different visual layers of insanity. And so um, because we were shooting the movie out of order, it actually it was the ideal film to shoot in order. <laughs> and I've, I wanted to do that because it was, you know, it made sense because there was a progression from, you know, same uh, insane. Yeah. yeah. Normalcy to actually going completely yeah. mad. You're completely nuts. And, uh, but because of, you know, uh, because of uh, our talent schedule, it was impossible to do. So we were shooting completely out of order. And, you know, like one of the tricks that we used to show time passing was, um, there was like the amount of sweat he had, the amount of beard that he had, the the level of dark circles under his eyes. So not only were we tracking the emotional aspect of his, you know, sane to insane progression, we were also tracking these visuals uh, that had to kind of stay in, in sync with all that. So basically I came up 
and then within uh, on top of that, we were doing more aggressive camera techniques and uh, more in and I guess more boundary pushing, like uh, more effects lensing type stuff. Uh, the deeper into his insanity he got. So basically, I basically went through the script and labeled every scene one through seven. So basically, those, yeah, those those numbers were used pretty much for every department. And then you kind of had um, like a lookbook or something that you know each department could see. Okay, this is this is the beard, exactly. You know, on level two <laughs> or three. Yeah, yeah I mean, p- pictures for continuity, and uh, you know, just the uh, a more kind of uh, what the emotional effect of these different looks was also something that we talked about in pre production with every department. You know. What, what, what can we use in our toolkit to differentiate our seven from our one, you know, what can we, what, what, what are some, some in-between steps that we can use to show a progression on a visual level as like, aside from the performance that he's going to be doing, you know, right. and then, and then, uh, and then basically, you know, uh, figuring out uh, with Eddie, you know, what, what's uh what, what's a seven look like and and what's a three look like you know um and sometimes like the you know the the more the higher the number the less the the, the smaller the performance uh whereas i think instinctively you might think that you know the, the crazier it get the the bigger it gets but in this film it kind of went the opposite direction so hmm. i just kind of stepping back a little bit sure because Obviously, you know, as you were talking about the progression, you know, one, you know, being normal, seven being absolutely insane. What what was the inspiration behind the movie? Like, why did you even want to do somebody that, number one, I mean, just based off of what I saw in the trailer, obviously, they accused him of committing a murder. And right. then he gets put inside this this jail cell and and he's he's going nuts and the guards are screwing with him and and all sorts of stuff. And, but what was the inspiration behind that? Like, why did you want to do that? Um, I've always, it's, it's always been a, an issue that, that I'm passionate about. Um, solitary. I, I think I've always thought that I, I've, I had a, a friend of the family who uh, was a foreman who worked for my dad's construction company. Um, and he actually, he went into San Quentin for a very small time charge and ended up spending uh, 20 years in jail. My dad oh, and him became friends on the second half of his life. Uh, and he was always extremely grateful and loyal to my dad because, you know, it's not easy for guys who have done a lot of time to get jobs, you know, and my dad gave him a, a good job and uh, they became, you know, very, very good, very close friends. And he actually, uh, told me about his experience uh, in solitary confinement. Um, and it was uh, insane. The things that he went through and the kind of uh, uh, the spiritual evacuation <laughs> that that yeah. he had af- after being in it. And, uh, you know, he said he basically watched uh, parts of him leave forever that he never got back. Um, and it was, he was always, his descriptions of it were always extremely poetic and fascinating. And he was just a very like, uh, I don't know, just inspiring guy, you know, uh, has, he, has all, he seen the film or will he see the film? He won't. 
because yeah, he passed sense. away. Oh, well, he, oh, he, that's he, well, he, he, he passed away. And, and, and I guess in losing him, it was one of the things that um, sparked. Um, I was going back thinking about all the times that I had spent with him and the things that he had told me uh, right around the time that I was um, feeling like I was kind of barking up the wrong tree with this other project that I was working on and trying to raise money for. And, and that's when everything kind of uh, just fell into place that this was what I needed to do and uh, why I wanted to do it. <clears throat> um, also at the time, you know, it was the, it was in, it was in 2016. Um, I actually felt like I was like, Hillary Clinton is a shoe in to win the presidency. Um, and this is something that she's going to a wrong, the kind of all the super predator and all the stuff like that Bill Clinton had in early nineties crime bills, like that had like gone forth. I thought she was going to undo. And I was actually like thinking, Oh, well, this is, you know, the, the social climate for this is, is, is very, is, is good right now is something I'm personally passionate about and that I have a personal connection to through my dad's friends. So it just felt like a good fit. Hmm. Well, before, before we get more into, into the movie, um, I did want to ask a little bit about, uh, cause well, you and I met at the Academy of art university in San Francisco. And I wanted to kind of talk to you about that. Like what you thought of school, like, did it do anything for you? And, uh, and then what you did after that and how, how you got to, up to this point to make this movie? Yeah, sure. Um, well, honestly, yeah, I, I actually felt like I got, I felt like I got a lot out of school. Um, I guess when I got out of school, I was really convinced that I had gotten a lot more. <laughs> uh, meaning that I think like, I was definitely young and overconfident and underprepared for the industry, which I know is not necessarily a glowing endorsement of the school, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, I, I felt like I was, you know, and I, they gave me like, I, I left there thinking that I was completely ready uh, to make a movie, you know, or, but that, mean, that even was really wasn't at, on my radar at the time. I was more interested in, in kind of uh, doing uh, commercials and music videos and kind of working my way up to doing a feature. Um, but, you know, I did, I met friends that I'm still friends with to this day. Um, I got to shoot a lot of cool stuff um, and I left school with a reel. So for that, yeah, I think it was a good, a good experience. Yeah, I mean, your um, DP, Jessica Young, she went to school with us. And I saw that Ryan Sage had something to do yeah. with your movie. He was like an executive producer or something on it who we went to school with. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan is awesome. Um, I really can't say enough about um about Ryan. You know, he's kind of he, he had he had already done two features and he does um direct directs, edits, and produces promos for NBC. So he's been shooting a lot with big talent and good budgets for a long time and is very experienced. Uh, and then it also done these, these independent feature films. Um, and creatively, I just have a lot of respect for him. He's one of these guys who um, finds the way, you know, like yeah. he, um, 
he, he's constantly making things happen and he's constantly being creative when things are standing in his way. Uh, this is something, uh, a part of myself that I, I like to try to cultivate and something when I see in other people, like, I, I find it, you know, like it's good company. I want to be around it. Um, so when I told him that I was um, trying to do this, uh, this film, he just started, you know, laying tons of advice on me, you know, uh, and then I, I'm not exactly sure how it came up, but basically like, you know, like I can help you out and try to steer you away from things that pitfalls that I fell into when I was making my feature, you know, maybe you could give me a credit or something. Uh, and I was like, yeah, man, that sounds great. Um, so like, you know, creatively and as a producer, like uh, he made a lot of introductions to people who ended up working on the film. Uh, gave me a lot of notes on cuts. He was a he was a he was a huge asset and a, has become like a very very good friend. Nice. Yeah. So then, as far as when you got out of school, so you you started doing commercials, music videos. You said you did a couple short films. How did yeah. you, did you do those independently, or were you hired onto a company to to do any of this? Uh, yeah. No. Um, all of the I did. I don't know about thirteen or fourteen music videos over the span of a few years uh, for a lot of it was done internationally. Um, so there was a, a record label called All Around the World uh, out of London that did like kind of like pop dance videos. And uh, I fell in to doing, I did one of those and it turned out well. And I, I kept doing those as commissioned projects through this record label. And some of them there, I was shooting here in the United States, and some of them I was shooting in uh, in London. Uh, oh, but nice. it was a great, it was a really cool experience. It got me to travel to Europe a bit. Um, it's where I met my current uh, business partner, producing partner, producer of the shoe. Uh, the guy, his name is uh, Pete Kirtley. He's become a very good friend, and uh, and and is my my business partner and we we basically set out to do uh caged um together uh from the very beginning so yeah uh that's kind of so i was able to to work with a variety of different budgets i was able to get paid i was able to travel um and you know that that was a really great professional uh legitimate experience uh, short films, YouTube videos, <laughs> social media content, all stuff that I just continued to do uh, on my own. Um, I just find that I, th I, th I think it was just a continued extension of the video on Explain Box, <laughs> you know, just with better gear <laughs> yeah. uh, and, a, and a bigger audience, um, you know. But um, I guess when it because when you're doing commission work, you're, you're trying to do the best job you can with the gig that you're getting. So I always felt like there was a part of my sensibility that wasn't being taken fully advantage of, taken to advantage of fully. And so like, I wanted to continue to do my own projects because I constantly thought that these, these ideas that I have, these things that I thought I could do, these, these worlds I wanted to create, like, that if, if I actually got to create those, that people would be able to appreciate my work in a different way. And then that would qualify me for more the type of work that I wanted to do. 
Uh, so, so that's yeah, that's so why those, I continue to do that Were those times like were they were they good times, hard times? I, I mean, was it hard getting through those, or or is that pretty much everything that made you kind of grow to where you are right now? Um, <clears throat> you know, like they were definitely. I remember all the times that I was getting jobs, I remember as being good times. <laughs> I loved, I love to work, you know? So when I was having an opportunity to work and having an opportunity to travel, I remember that being good times. Um, <clears throat> in between all that, you know, like when I was just figuring out ways to do things on my own, like those were really hard times, you know? Um, so, but, and then, to be honest with you, making the movie itself just recently was one of the hardest times of my life, you know, getting through it. It took four years. Like I was working, you know, in pre and in post, I was working a day job, multiple day jobs, trying to uh, pay the bills and, and get through it. And, um, you know, it put a, an, an intense amount of pressure on myself, my girlfriend, uh, the kids that we shared together. Like, um, it was, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, the kind of thing like, 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 is this ever going to be finished? Will it ever get released? Is this going to get distribution? You know, like I always knew in my heart that it would like, but to try to communicate that vision to somebody who hasn't spent a lifetime, like, uh, moving working towards on. a certain goal, working yeah. on a goal, you know, it, it, it sometimes can be a tough sell. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I made. I made two movies in a span of six years, like one, like right after I got out of the Academy, but it, it felt like I was spending more time trying to just make the things than actually making them. And it was tough. You know, it's just like, you know, we're meeting with people constantly trying to get money, you know, yeah. figuring out like schemes to sell even once we made the dang thing, like then trying to sell, like we went to Sundance and, tried selling it there it's like i don't i don't want to do this <laughs> i want to make the dang movies i i i, I did i mean i you know being I, you I, I feel like uh these days like you have to just you know be a jack of all trades yeah it's uh, if it's you want to be it. a director just just because like you know like we it, you'll be very lucky when you find somebody who will be your advocate and you when you find that hold on to that you know what i mean until then you have to really be your own advocate like yeah you're um, right i mean and that's in, really in every department in every in every department you know yeah, um, that was what kind of one of the things i liked about the academy was and it's different now because i know people who went there since we left and it's more like all the other film schools in the country Um, whereas like you would just take a director's route or a cinematographer's route. Whereas when we were there, it was, you learned to be a guerrilla filmmaker. And I felt like that was important to have not necessarily good if you want to make a living in the film industry, but as far as if you're just going to make a movie, you know, it was, it was, I felt like it was pretty good, um, experience to have. Uh, in that world definitely like that that in as much as that the gear is there if you can figure out a way to get people to show up and what to do with it then you can actually get something done 
You, you know what I mean? But there's a lot of, uh, there was a lot of, um, it required a lot of res- like personal responsibility and, and, you know, motivating large groups of people to, to kind of get behind you and help you. And, and those are all, you know, great leadership skills that like, I think are essential to be successful in the movie business. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I so think it, there's a lot of misperception with, with really anything nowadays. I mean, even, even people making like I'm in com- into computers and whatnot, and even making a computer game. I mean, people just think you sit down at a, at a, you know, computer and just bust it out in like 10 minutes. And, you know, you got this massive, huge computer game. It's like, did you have any idea that the planning and the process, I mean, even with a movie, it's like the planning, the process. And, and then if you're the person behind the whole creation, it's like, you got to organize it. You got to fund it. You know, even what Mike was saying and probably what you went through, you spent more of your more time trying to sell it than actually making the movie. But yeah. people have this weird perception that you could just grab a camera head outside and record the Blair Rich project and you know <laughs> at night and uh that that's just not the way it works definitely has not been my experience <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you know um but but at at the same time I do also think that there's a certain advantage to to being naive because yeah. if you yeah. if you knew going into it how how taxing and thankless the process could feel at times you might not ever want to do it you know like you really have to be in a situation where you've taken other people's money you're past the point of no return you know it's you you have a a moral compass and like a a rolodex of investors to answer to and you're just like i gotta finish There's too many people counting on me. Too many people have like, you know, laid it down for me. I got to lay it back for them, you know? Um, And that helps me get me through. Yeah, I was going to say, so how how do you go from music videos and commercials to saying, hey, I'm I'm ready to do a feature. And then, and how did you start looking for funding? Um, Well, I... I was doing the music videos. I, I was doing a video with a with a songwriter uh, who I had met in in London, uh, and he was coming to LA. And right around that time, um, I was shooting a uh, sizzle reel with Jessica Young for a heavy metal horror film <laughs> that I wanted Ooh. to do, and. Uh, so when I had finished that sizzle reel, I had showed it to the songwriter who was the manager of the artist who was uh, the client for the video. Um, and that was my current business partner, Pete. And he was like, dude, I love this. And Pete was like, a, he had like eight number one hits in the UK as a songwriter. He was a Ivor, Ivor Novello award-winning songwriter, like, which is, I guess, kind of like a Grammy in the UK. You know, it's a big deal over there. He had had, uh, he's a little bit older than me, not much, only like five years, but he had kind of, he had already succeeded in his chosen field. And I definitely felt like he was a good partner uh, that, I don't know, like when you, as a director and then having, if you're trying to wear all the hats, you know, like I, I feel like there's a bit of like a resistance to handing over money to the kind of personality it takes to direct a film you know 
Like you want maybe somebody who comes off more professional, um, more, not to say like a creative person isn't professional, but like there's kind of, it's like a left, right, a right, left brain thing. You know, you want right. there to be like the more kind of fiscally responsible and the less passionate, more uh, bottom line person standing next to you uh, who can maybe be on your team asking for the money. Uh, I've found that people who are investor types respond good to that recipe, you know, kind of like the zany creative guy and the guy who will make sure the bills get paid, you know, right, right. like having those two people in the room together, I find to be a, a really great chemistry uh, when you're trying to sit in front of investors. Um, so anyways, that, to how, so Pete and I had met through music videos. Jess and I had just done this heavy metal horror uh, piece. Pete wanted to be partners and pursue this project. And while I was doing videos, um, we were trying to make that happen. And I was also pitching some t television stuff. So I was already kind of making that transition to knowing that I wanted to do narrative, longer form film and TV. I didn't exactly know how I was gonna do it. I just figured I'm gonna sh shoot like uh, as much stuff as I can, turn it into trailers and try to pitch it, right? Um, <clears throat> and then while, while when Pete and I had hooked up, he basically was telling me about um, a specific type of financing, which at the time wasn't available in America. It's uh, EIS and SEIS financing, uh, where basically it gives um, tax, <clears throat> tax relief to high net worth individuals looking to make investments in startups and startups could include artistic projects like films. So basically, Everybody that who would, if, if you could <clears throat> start a company in the UK that would qualify for this type of, and get approved for this type of financing, then you could de-risk the proposition of investing in your movie by 30 to 50%. Because that 30 to 50%, they would be basically getting as a tax write-off. Hmm. Interesting, which is, yeah. yeah. Which is really killer, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, for uh, sure. It, it, it's like, well, you know, it's a, it's a write-off with the possibility of a return for, you know, the bulk of the, the investment or at least up to 50%, which for a lot of people is, you know, was enough to get them will, willing to do it. I mean, for us, like we, 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 we took the Bernie Sanders approach to financing a film. So we had like people who were doing well and had write-offs, but like, you know, a bunch of people over, I think it was over 50 investors um, uh, who put in small amounts of money. Oh, that's cool that they yeah. had that amount. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of how we did uh, our second feature. We would, we just had many investors and they did like small amounts. How did, people... did, how did you come? Uh, how did you meet them? Did you meet them all through film festivals and stuff like that? Or did you? Uh... I mean, all over the place. So we, we had our first movie, which we did, we funded ourselves. We just shot on DV, which at the time, you know, the Canon XL1 was a big deal. This sure. was before HD. Um, well, before it was as big as it is now. 
and we brought that to film festivals and um we met people there like we met one of our investors for our second movie because we went there like knowing we're going to be trying to make you know we're going to try and make a second movie right um, like business plan in hand right right so that and and my producer who also went to the academy of art um he just knew a lot of people he okay. he did business and so we would just meet with various people and think we were doing like five thousand dollar slots or something so you could invest you know you could take more than one slot so i think some people took like two slots or you know something like that interesting Uh, yeah similar structure for us yeah but but yeah so once once um you you made the movie um how did you end so you were basically just making it and then you were going to try and sell it how did shout studios come into the picture um well it was, we, we had raised enough money to know that we were going to get through production, but we really didn't have enough money to finish the movie when we wrapped production. So, uh, but I knew, I had always had a lot of success with cutting trailers, sizzle reels and stuff like that. So I knew if we could put, get, shoot all the footage, shoot the script, that I could put together uh, a trailer uh, with, you know, actually that Ryan helped Ryan Sage ended up helping with that. And we did that together. And, um, and we were able to use that to raise the rest of the money for post, which we actually did pretty quickly right after we shot. Um, but we had to do that a couple more times in order to get through post-production. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that post was such a kind of long, arduous process. But <clears throat> I mean, we, we we wrapped production at the beginning, I believe it was right December, of uh, we we shot for sixteen days, we we wrapped in December of twenty sixteen. We finished the movie in December of twenty nineteen, um, and right we 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 started submitting to film festivals and stuff right at, like at that time and and right as soon as we uh, were doing that, the pandemic hit. Dang. you know and i was like because i was like so stoked like yeah you're this... gonna go to festivals people are gonna watch it and then it's like hey, finally after all the after all this time like the movie Man. uh you know like 2020 this is my year <laughs> remember saying that. <laughs> <laughs> you know awesome <laughs> uh, and and then and then the pandemic hit and i was kind of just like man you know what? I don't even care. Like rather, cause like at the time, like no one knew how long this was going to last. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just wait it out. Like, I'm sure this is going to happen to a lot of filmmakers. Like, um, why don't we just chill and see, and, and, and when this is over, then we'll just pursue it. Like it hadn't happened, you know? Um, real quick, Aaron, is this coming out in, in theaters or is this coming directly to it's 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 a digital release yeah it's going to be a digital release yeah Yeah. video on demand where is it where is it going to be released um it'll be itunes amazon uh all the cable services on demand uh google play pretty much anywhere you 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 find content it'll be 
Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, that's yeah. what I was curious just because, you know, on Tuesday when it does come out and even for our listeners, um, you know, these, I'm, I'm sure people are going to want to know. So I'll have a, I'll, I'll have, we're also going to be releasing physical through, uh, through Walmart, which I was just, I just found out about not too long ago. Oh, oh nice. Cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, when I, when I get back to you guys, after we do this, I will, I'll give you direct links for some stuff. So cool. Cool. People know where to go. But um, so, so basically while we were um, kind of just waiting it out, like we were getting approached by some um, sales companies and I don't know if you guys have any experience going through that, that process, but there's, um, there exists a lot of companies, there's a, a lot of companies out there and you've never heard of any of the films that, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. that they've done <laughs> and, and they're just like the strangest casting combinations and with concepts that like you can't believe are actually out there and they're all telling you how you know you should sign a contract with them <laughs> and it's just it's like with the pandemic spending so long on the film and then you know seeing these opportunities that are basically like i know it's just somebody at a company who goes down all the movies that are they're able to sort a list of imdb that says everything that's in post-production and they just contact them, right? So I, I'm basically just saying, no, let's just ignore all these people who, who have contacted us um, to my partner. Cause I, I thought, you know, like if we're gonna do it, let's give ourselves a fair shot. Like if we expect that someday somebody's gonna have heard of this movie, we should at least go with the company where that's produced a movie that we've heard of, you know, seemed like yeah. a de decent logic to us. Um, <clears throat> and then, that right around this time it was like um the uh the george floyd thing was going down and the protests started to happen and um it, i just felt like every day i was turning on the news or like driving down the street and seeing my the the, the film's cause being reflected on protest signs on the news every night, you know, within the conversations I was having amongst my little quarantine crew, <laughs> you know, that I was hanging out with, um, that uh, there was all these things pointing me to like, maybe you should start checking your email. Maybe you should start giving this uh, a, a, a strong consideration because of the because the timing feels so the topicalness of it. Yeah. yeah. The topicalness of it. And then right around that same time, um, we got a, uh, an email from a, a, a production sales company uh, called premier entertainment. And the email was so tailored to me that I, I almost, I accused my business partner of like knowing them and basically saying, you told them what to say, huh? <laughs> <laughs> because you're tired of waiting and and he's like no man it's just that was like authentically um you know what uh what they said and and they they shared the, the in, I, I had written this this concept before the movie uh get out had come out and uh the before like the kind of the social thriller was a thing you know 
Um, and that was definitely how I saw the movie, how I, I felt like it was a genre film that also had a message that the, you know, the genre is the candy coating for the medicine that like you, you, people will be resistant to taking it unless they don't know they're taking it from the beginning. You know, you could let's 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 widen our audience. Let's 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 appeal to horror fans, and then let's you know, like also like I don't I didn't want to do it the other way around where I was making a message film that was like catering to a more to a more narrow elitist art film film festival audience. I wanted to cater to fans of genre and also have something to say. And they, when they approached us through this email, they basically uh, expressed that they, they had that same view of the film. And uh, we just started talking to them in a relatively quick fashion. Um, I think we had a couple calls with them. We gave them the film to test, to test the market with. And within five weeks, we had a North American deal with Shout. Oh. And... Um, and then shortly after that, we started selling uh, international territories. So right now, I, we're we're scheduled to be released in the UK, South Africa, the Middle East, Indonesia. Uh, that'll all happen around March, um, and we're going to continue to sell those in the, in the coming months. That's, so just, I mean, that's awesome. Just yeah. in the in the means of time, I I want to get to to some of these other questions that we got off of social media. Uh, okay. I think Mike actually posted that we were going to be interviewing you and then had a trailer of, of, um, of caged. So uh, Amy K asked, what was it like working with uh, Melora Harden um, or Jan from the office? Just real <laughs> quick, 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 or quick answers on these. Cause there's a, there's a few of them. And then we got like a lightning round of just one, sort of one sentence answer responses on these um, so that we sure. can get through these other ones. M Melora is wonderful, uh, great, um, an act, an, a fellow activist, um, somebody who is also extremely funny and uh, was super willing to uh, go against type and do something that was uh, scary. So I love her. She's awesome. Couldn't be, couldn't, couldn't have nice things to say. Nice. Uh, and then, so Billy B, he says that the trailer looks awesome and he asked for any advice for up and coming filmmakers. That's a good one. <laughs> um, I, I would, I would say make friends with a casting agent um, that getting your movie made like nine tenths of that, of getting, of getting someone to say yes to the money has to do with who's in it. Um, and if you can find a, uh, like if one of the first things that you should be spending money on, if you do raise any money is somebody to do casting for you. Uh, and if you can find a casting director who would work with you uh, because they think your script is so amazing and send it out to actors and you could start to set up a package, then do that. Nice. Uh, one other question that came in from uh, John Jay. He asked, he's a horror movie fan uh, and horror movie director. Uh, what scares you? Uh, that was one of the questions uh, that I asked myself. And uh, prison was the answer I came up with. Well, well that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, cool. So, so then last, just to wrap, wrap this up, we kind of do like a lightning round of questions. I don't know if you ever watched inside the actor studio with James Lipton. Sweet. Uh, but we <laughs> yeah. kind of do like, uh, you know, the, these questions, it's kind of like one word, one sentence responses. Um, okay. The first one is what's your favorite monster? Creature from the Black Lagoon. Ooh, that's a good nice. one. Nice. Uh, the next one is if you were a monster, what would you be? Um, a wolf man. Okay, cool. Um, this is a serious question. Have you ever harnessed energy from lightning to create any of your work? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the next one is, have you ever tried to take over the world? Um, I, yeah, I guess so. Cause I, I think a film set is a microcosm of the world. That makes sense. Uh, what do you do for evil in your spare time? Um, right. Perfect. And uh, are there any skeletons in your closet? Yes. And they're going to remain there. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Uh, your, your favorite shade of blood and guts. Um, brown. Okay. Uh, the next one would be your favorite type of victim. Uh, a survivor. Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, what kind of scream or cry of terror do you love most? Uh, one from an audience member of something, <laughs> watching of something that I made. No, okay. not, yeah, that, that's actually really good. What about which, which kind do you love least? One from a loved one, okay. a, real, a, a real one. <laughs> <laughs> and last question in this lightning round, uh, what's your favorite torture device? Um, well, as a, somebody who is a, a huge heavy metal fan, I would say an Iron Maiden. Okay, cool. All right. Um, anything else that you want to, uh, you want to bring up or anything that you're, you're working on right now that, uh... um, you know, not, not, not just, uh, you know, just being, just being grateful for having the opportunity to talk about the film and, you know, uh, to all your listeners, please, you know, I know you have a lot of choices out there, but if you, uh, you know, my, from my cast, my crew, my producer and myself, please, uh, please give cage a shot. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah. Awesome. I, I definitely, I plan on, uh, posting it to all my, my friends and, and family and, uh, all the people I'm associated with. So I'm going to try to get your name out there as best as I can with all my resources. I'm sure Mike's going to do the same thing. And then just even with this with this podcast, you know, uh, anybody who's listening, I'm sure we'll check it out and then probably it'll just go from there. Hopefully it's just a, like a domino effect of people checking it out. So whatever we can do to help you, uh, help you achieve success is, is really our goal. I, like I said, I, I like the, the trailer and, uh, I'm sure the movie's going to be awesome. Ellis, thank you so much, Mike. Yeah. It's great to reconnect with you, Thomas. It's awesome to meet you. And, uh, you know, Best of luck on all of our filmmaking futures. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate uh, you guys taking the time to uh, to talk with me today. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming on, Aaron. Awesome, guys. Well, right. uh, you guys have an amazing weekend. All right, you too. Bye. You. All right, bye now. All right, and that was Aaron Fielman. And uh, again, it was really cool talking to him about his new movie caged which will be coming out tomorrow on vod um we will have some links in the show notes if you're listening to this right when we post this thing there may not be links just yet 
um, but but just we will have something soon um, as soon as we get the links um, you know if you're listening to this uh, you know on Wednesday or Thursday of this week then we'll probably have it in there but but yeah anything else Tom uh, that you wanted to bring up before we close the show out uh, I just wanted to to bring up one other thing on on the podcast you know and the, the future of it I mean we, we took a little break but I think Mike and I are gonna try to uh, get some more interviews of people I think it's a lot of fun to to see what people are doing in the in the monster and sort of Halloween horror world but I, I I'm really kind of excited to do more of these uh, and I, I do also like doing the Monster Mondays, which, you know, is always fun to, to just kind of bring another monster in and talk about it and, and then relate it back to, you know, something Halloween or, or horror related. So we're going to bring those back in uh, probably in a few weeks. But uh, yeah, we're going to definitely try for the, the upcoming uh, season to have more interviews of people who are in this sort of genre. Yeah, we got we have a few people lined up, um, just nothing concrete yet. But uh, yeah, hopefully we some some fun ones too. Um, so stay tuned, and and we will uh, we'll be posting about that. We also will be posting um, we will be posting notice on our social media. And if you have any questions, you could just drop them right in. You know, whatever social media it is, be it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you have any questions, um, we're going to post before we interview the people. That way we can ask your questions when we talk to the people. But uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, Definitely check out our social media, which we'll have links to in our show notes. And uh, yeah, the Monster Mondays uh, hopefully will be uh, coming back to shortly. But uh, yeah, still taking a little bit of break. Just uh, uh, bear, bear with us on that. But yeah, all right, cool. Anything else, Tom? No, that'll do it. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the Jack Lantern Press podcast. For more about the monster universe and the monster revolution that's upon us, go to jackolanternpress.com. You can also call our pumpkin hotline and leave us a message with any questions, suggestions, or your impressions of the show at 323-761-0276. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating and a review. It's a big help for the podcast, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Now to take us out, uh, Tom and I usually like to play a clip from a Halloween Sounds album we had as kids. This clip here is from 1992's A Night in a Haunted House, A Night in a Graveyard from the Haunted Sounds Music Company. And uh, we thought this was fitting for uh, the prison movie that we talked to Aaron about today. This track is called the dungeons so thanks for joining us this evening and we'll meet up again soon in the pumpkin patch where are we we must be in the dungeons